Welcome to Disrespectfully Agree with Oatman and LJ. I am LJ. Across from me is Mr. Oatman. I am Oatman. What's good in the hood, everybody? And this this time we are actually in the hood, coming from uh, the Buckeye area. That's true. We're having some uh, studio availability issues. <laughs> I'm about to give LJ a hood pass in order for him to get out of here. Do I need one of those? Yeah, don't worry. I'll give it to you. It's cool. Just don't drop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where do you find those? How do, how do you get them? <laughs> I got like a notepad that I get somewhere. Oh, just uh, oh, okay. They, they sell them at barbecue stores. There's a barbecue store? Yes, barbecue store, cell phone store. They're all over the place. Wow. Sometimes they have them at the liquor store. This week we're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, mostly directed by Brian Singer, though he's fired about 85% of the way through the shooting. This stars Ra- Rumi Malik? Rami Malik? Who, who replaced him? I didn't read. Because it doesn't mention it on the screen. No, and I don't know if it even mentions his name. Did it at the beginning? I can't remember. Who, uh, Brian Singer? Yeah. It does. Did we see his name? Okay. I think he's still listed as director, and I was wondering, I, I thought it was going to be a joint thing, because I know, I thought somebody came in to kind of sort of polish it off at the end, but I didn't see a name. Do we, do we know what happened, why he got pushed out, or? Well, it was a number of things. One was sexual allegations. Um, oh, really? Yeah. No, I did not know that. This involves, it's a, this uh. is no longer fun. <laughs> to talk about so i'll try i I don't want to get too deep into that and focus mostly on the movie but i mean it's legitimate to talk about Mm -hmm. a little bit outside of our purview i think uh at least for the kind of thing well i don't know anything that affects content i guess he he was there were a number of things so was that the sexual allegations that perhaps involved some underage young men really yeah oh brian singer's gay oh yeah you know that i did not know oh yeah yeah so he's got some similar things going on as with kevin spacey kevin spacey uh, I think they, they accuse Kevin Spacey of just like sexual assault, not just underage. But yes, exa- yes, and Jeez. I haven't gone too deeply into this, but that's part of it. And the other part is, I think the and I was laughing at Corey Feldman when he said that. Oh, well. <laughs> remember he was talking about there was a conspiracy of there were a lot of powerful men in um, Hollywood that were like taking advantage of young men and things. He was saying that sure. years ago. Right. We're like, oh, look at drugged out Corey Feldman talking crazy. But it, yeah, it does. Yeah, the, yeah. Unfortunately, his, the source there, Corey Feldman, is not a reliable. <laughs> uh, it's not to say that he's wrong, but well, he's, apparently he's right. I he's mean, also crazy. Yeah, but he's also he was a young. You're right. Hollywood, so Absolutely. I'm sure he probably, he's seen some things. Absolutely. And hung out with, I'm not trying to be funny, but hung out with Michael Jackson for a while. I mean. Sure. And, and <laughs> but you know, he's a young kid and drugs, alcohol, yeah. um, Hollywood parties. Sure. But you know, in some ways that, that almost justifies why he's not a credible source, perhaps. Which part? Meaning that if you go through those kind of things, oftentimes the result of that is alcohol and drinking sure. and erratic behavior. Right. Yep. and Absolutely. Not being as stable as you should be. Yeah, and, such and, and which leads to victim blaming and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's that. But also, Brian Singer has a history of kind of disappearing. Uh, really? Four days at a time sometimes or just being late. Uh, really? To set, yeah, this has happened on previous sets, previous movies of his, and that was happening here. And uh, some of the actors, uh, including the lead Malik, and I think the guy who plays Miami Beach, uh, I'm not thinking of getting his name at the moment. Yeah, he was uh, good. Yeah, he was good. Was uh, he played like the manager character? Tom Hollander is the actor there. Apparently, he just left at a certain point. You want to hear and, something? And funny? had to be convinced to come back to the production. You want to hear something really funny? Okay, this is a touch embarrassing. I don't know why in my head. When I saw his name, I thought that was Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. So, like, the whole movie, Which, I was like... Where's Spider-Man? I swear, I was like, Which one is Spider-Man? To I be mean, fair, he did disappear in the last movie. 
What this is, is part of the Marvel Universe, is right? Is Spider-Man's name similar to that in some, for some Tom reason? Tom Holland, I think, is his name. Okay, because it's something I said, wait a minute, Spider-Man's in this movie. And I was looking all, all the way through for yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, add an ER and you get this gentleman. Oh, Tom gosh. Hollander. Gotcha. Okay. I think it's Tom Holland. I might be wrong. I'm not going to look it up. In any case, a lot lot going on. Sometimes, you know, he, he and his actors get into squabbles. In any case, he was fired. Most of the movie was shot, but the film, you can't really tell. It didn't seem to suffer for that. I mean, I, I heard rumors and stuff. I didn't really look into it until after I saw the film. Seems, uh, seems fine. It also may be a little bit of a validation for the fact that sometimes movies are in the editing, too. Absolutely. Like, if you get enough footage and you get you a kick-ass editor, it's mm-hmm. amazing what they can do. I, I have seen that in working with you as an editor. I'll give you some footage. It comes back, and it's like, wow, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they often say that there are three writers. There's the writer then there's the director slash cinematographer, and then the editor gets the last yep. rewrite on the movie. And that's, I think, the part you liked the most on this film was I, the editing. I, I really did. So before we get into spoilers, just give a brief brief overview on our feelings of the film. But I'll just there, Can there really be spoilers in this? <laughs> I think so. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, this film so closely follows. When it comes to specific moments that I want to talk about, yeah, I don't want to spoil those. So uh, all I want to do is real briefly say thumbs up or thumbs down. Where are you at, Oatman? Oh, thumbs up. Easily thumbs up. Okay. And I'm I'm thumbs up. I'm surprisingly th- – I didn't want to see this movie. I know. I'm not – I don't like biopics <laughs> and stories about musicians bore me to tears usually. And this one is another one of those mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But surprisingly, there are moments in here that worked for me. So I'm going to go th- – Thumbs mostly up. Well, that's what I call it. I call it a chocolate ice cream cone. Even, yes, even if it's your just, go-to. Yeah, well, it's my go-to. Even if it's just an ice cream cone. I mean, yeah, it's nothing surprising there. But hell, a chocolate ice cream cone is a chocolate ice cream cone. Sometimes it's good. That aside, we're going to jump jump right into our spoiler discussion of the film. Spoilers ahead. Warning. Oatman, you like the editing. Go. What's uh, up? I loved it. Like, I, you know, I remember seeing that performance that, that he did uh, for Live Aid, mm-hmm. which uh, is, you know, it's an indelible moment in most people's visual cortex, uh, some of those performances from that show, because uh, it was at a time when I was growing up, I was sort of in what they call the imprinting stage. So mm-hmm. a lot of that still lives in my head. So for him to take a moment that's that indelible. And redefine it with a with an actor and and a sort of a performance. I just think it's a masterful job, and I, I love the fact that they shot it like it was almost an action film. It had that kind of quick pace editing in a real way, and it wasn't like just a quick shot. It was like they really just delve into that performance. Just really loved how it was and shot. In a way, it they beautiful. They kind of had to because my God, how long was that? Like fifteen minutes, fifteen yeah. twenty minutes. And that scene, I mean, that stage, now, I I was never big in, my my musical upbringing had a lot to do with uh, more orchestral work. Yeah, uh, you're like the monkeys or something. <laughs> the monkeys? No, no, no. I'm, it's, it was like my the things I would listen to on, on my, you know, Walkman slash CD man or whatever were, were film scores and... <laughs> And what always the, making fun of me. What the hell is wrong with uh, A lot of James Horner and Alan Silvestri and John Williams. Uh, so, wait, so, yeah, dude, what you listening to? Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, I got a little Jerry Goldsmith on and some Horner, you know. And also some, uh, you know, uh, some Strauss and Vivaldi. Oh, my God, you're insane. What? That explains a lot of uh, <laughs> But also, I would dive into other things as well, like a big um, Billy Joel fan. Uh, I think that's the first non- 
orchestral thing I bought was uh, a Billy Joel album. Uh, I was an accidental Billy Joel fan. Accidental? You're just a big fan of Bosom Buddies? Well, not just that. A lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff that I heard, I didn't know it was Billy Joel. But, ah. but I, you know, and then later when I started seeing music videos is when I really became a fan of him, when I could see him, and I saw Uptown Girl. And then, but there are a lot of songs he had in the past that his voice was attached to that I didn't realize was, uh-huh. and Bosom Buddies is one of those songs sure. where who doesn't like the Bosom Buddies song? I think I clued you into yeah, that was, Jim, I, that I'm that was 40, Billy Joel. I'm 44 years old. And I'm like, oh, that's my cut. That's the Bosom Buddies. He's like, you know, that's Billy Joel. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, that's Billy Joel. That's a whole, uh, that's and, like a famous song. And you're also a huge fan of Disney's Oliver and Company. No. What? <laughs> I don't know what that is. You haven't seen Oliver and Company? It was their animal I version was, of Oliver. I wasn't a cartoon guy. Oh, that's I forgot. I'm not a huge that's cartoon right. How guy. could I forget? <laughs> it's such a traumatic episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not a huge cartoon guy. That's right. So never mind. So Live Aid. I, I, didn't, I don't think I watched it. I'm sure I saw clips. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big concert, you know, the rock concert, any concert no, kind of. Nor I kind of guy no, um, nor I. I, I i'm not either like I, I you're right i've seen it in clips right little little bits and pieces you know and, but that stage is boring as hell it's just a white nothing and it's it's like i would almost argue against historical accuracy on this one maybe do something well, to make that stage less antiseptic well to me it is a boring stage that's what made it to me such a triumph that he made that section for me a rousing thing like 50 you're right it's about 15 minutes i mean it goes on and on and on and usually for that kind of thing man I, i'm checking out after three minutes yeah. and the fact that he held me and you know how my attention span is that quick mm-hmm. uh it held me I, I just i was i was he had me i was enraptured in that whole thing especially because of the journey that we had taken to get to that stage right so by the time we had gotten to the to the point where we essentially have this dying figure yeah. there, and this is kind of his. We're getting into that last gas, man. I was there with him. I mean, I, I, I was too. I, I, when 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 he starts with the beginning piano solo of Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, I I admit I w- I did get emotional there. Yeah, it was nice. But then they go into two songs, and I'm you know it, this just goes to my ignorance that I've just never heard before. Yeah. Then we come back to We Are the Champions, which is a fine song, and I understand. Is popularity and it's certainly appropriate thematically, but it started on such a, a nice emotional note that doing the whole concert kind of just felt to me like a well, it's a concert. I mean, it, well shot and all of that. Well, but. also note, I'm a I'm a I'm a Queen fan. Okay, so that's part that might be part of the vibe too. I'm a, I'm a huge Queen fan. Like Queen was one of the first when I crossed the bridge over from rap uh, when I went through my uh, what I call walk this way portal and so there was this thing with with aerosmith yeah oh like run dmc yeah there was this thing that happened where rick rubin made a conscious decision that he wanted to couple his rap group with an old time really popular rock group because he wanted white people from the suburbs to cross this bridge over into rap and it was actually successful but i think went the other way with you yeah what was less covered but very true for a guy like me is it went the other way. I crossed the bridge over and cause I had never heard of Aerosmith and I saw this Aerosmith and then I went to, you know, 
Dream On and did all this other wonderful music. I became an Aerosmith fan and then I became a rock and roll fan. And hmm. once I crossed that bridge, Queen was one of those next kind of groups sure. that I discovered. Like, I'm like, this is very hip hop to me. Like, okay. that's what I like about Queen. Like, as a guy who loved hip hop, sure. he feels hip hop to me. I know that sounds weird, but it's almost like his chants almost have a rap feel to him. Another one bites the dust. That's a hip hop song. Sure. Uh, and so I, I'm such a huge Queen fan. It was, it was like a little love letter for those guys who grew up listening to Queen. I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. And there are certainly songs there that I, I very much love. I love the one that plays during the end credits, Don't Stop Me Now. Oh, yeah. Radio uh, Gaga. Great song. I mean, all that, all that stuff is just awesome. And then to see the stories of how that was put together. And, and I even liked how they talked about how it was not well received. Yeah, that was surprising. <laughs> I thought that was a nice little note. Instead of trying to just make it a triumph, they talked about that to some degree, the producer who was played by Mike Myers, yeah, so that's, this, that's a nice little talk, was right <laughs> in a way, yes, in the way people responded abs- to it. Well, he was right in the way critics responded to it. Exactly. Not seeing not that later. Not the way the fans a, did. Yeah, it became a classic later. Well, some fans didn't like it. Some sure. Mark, some Mark fans... At the time, they had almost a Matchbox 20 reputation, mm-hmm. where Max, Matchbox 20 was super successful, sold a lot of records, but then people poo-pooed them, and they became almost this metaphor for soft rock that didn't really rock, and mm-hmm. they weren't really rockers. They went through that whole phase. Well, Bohemian Rhapsody is certainly pretentious. I mean, certainly. They're, they're right. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> but it's good. It is good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, they're, they're right, but it's good. Yeah, and, and so this film... But what makes it a touch less pretentious is, which makes it a classic, is Freddie Mercury is in on the joke with you. Right. If he wasn't in on the joke, it would just be pretentious. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, he, he gets what he's satirizing. It's more satir- It's more deconstructing than it is trying to live up to emotion. Right. And, and, and that's what makes it, I he think... He does it with of, a wink. He does it with a wink. He really does. I should have said this at the beginning that so Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, in a sense, is a prequel to Wayne's World. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird seeing is, Mike Myers sitting up there saying teenagers aren't going to be sitting in cars listening to this stuff. Or well, that, now that was too much for me. That was too much of a wink from this movie. Just, it, was, it was fine. To like, oh, this is going to be a terrible song. No one's going to like this. No one's going to bang their head. It was okay. To, it I was mean, ah. I explained what ha- was happening to my wife. She, no Wayne's World, and well, she does, she has never seen Wayne's World. Yeah, she does. She barely knows who Mike Myers is. So I was yeah. explaining to her the whole thing. Not a Shrek fan. Uh, she's not a huge <laughs> cartooner. You, uh, you too. <laughs> she's not a huge cartoon person. So it, yeah, that was a bit too cute for me. Um, it was a little cutesy, but I, 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 it was okay. It was fine. It didn't go on for too long, so I was like, yeah. okay, it's fine. Yeah. And then we get a call back to him just sitting yeah, there during sitting Live Aid. <laughs> Which, like, my thing is, he's probably a rich, successful producer. I don't think he's sitting there like, oh. No. If only I would have. <laughs> but I was like, okay, fine. I, I, if, if you got to stick that in there, okay. Yeah. And what was funny is I checked my phone. My phone rang, and I checked it, and I looked down, and then I looked during back During the movie? Yes, during the movie. I was, it's a long Oatman. story. It was a long story. Oatman. I was expecting a call from my mom. So she, okay. she she called me. I'm I'm in. I look up and she was like, You miss Mike Myers. What? She said, You miss Mike Myers. I missed the scene. Oh, your wife? My did? wife told oh, me about I see. it. <laughs> I missed the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I missed the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. It, it, so let me talk about something my real there's one moment in particular 
that you may, maybe this will be one of those times you tell me I'm crazy for being overly sentimental and all of that. But I really loved the scene where he gets his big mansion and he's lonely and he calls his wife, ex-wife, across the street and there's the whole scene with the, you know, blink your light for me and get a glass and... Pussy. (laughs) No, I I loved it as well. And all of that. I love that scene. It was... I love that scene. It was a touching... uh, I love the scene. ...kind of visual... Well, it's the kind of scene that you don't get in a lesser movie. Yeah. Where they they show you the effect of what's happening on him, but they don't show it in obvious ways of him being rushed into a hospital or having a drug overdose. They they just show you how lonely he is. Yeah. And they put him in this cavernous mansion. He's in this cavernous mansion. He's wearing this nice smoking jacket and all that, and he's alone. Yeah. And, And the one person that he truly loves truly wants to be with he kind of can't because not only is there this barrier of sexuality between them Mm -hmm. there's this physical barrier of her being in one house and him being in another so you get this metaphor and they're so close exactly but also completely completely alone and then and i love the light Mm -hmm. that's that that there's a light on in her heart for him and there's a light on his heart for her I, i thought that was beautiful yeah and then again it's not there later you know when he's exactly when he you know, he's again alone, turns on his light, yep. and there's nothing and not on the only other that, side of the street. When he gets the opportunity for it again, and that's what I thought was so brilliant for this movie, when it comes to him again, he's not ready for it. But it's there for him again, but he can't recognize it once again, where they have that extraordinarily well-written, awesome scene where it's the end of the party, and there's this waiter that he comes on to. And that waiter tells him to go stick it. Yeah, he he literally does the sexual harassment thing. <laughs> exactly. And and I think his name was Jim, wasn't he? He gives him I forget what his name. He but puts him right back in. Jim his Hutton, butt. that's what it was. And he and he says, "I'll thump you if you do that again." Exactly. And walks away. And Freddie's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't. You know, I apologize." But he's still a little playful. As I just love I love a man in uniform. That's the most powerful line of that thing. Where he says to him, basically, because at first I think Freddie misreads it to, oh, I just hit on a guy who's not gay. And then there's that moment where he says, I like a man in uniform, too. And what he's saying is, I'm gay, too. Yeah, that I doesn't just, mean that I'm a, I'm a piece of property to be manipulated. Right. It's not about that. Which is a really, yeah, I love that moment. That was a really nice turn. Absolutely. Uh, on the cliche. Absolutely. I thought it was well done. And then they have this moment where they connect. And he kisses him, and he's about to go, and he says, you know, uh, I like you. And he was like, come come find me when you like yourself. Right. And then he walks out. And that's Freddie's moment mm-hmm. to connect, but he misses it. Yep. Uh, there's, for, there's a, like, several years. For several years. <laughs> there's a light that pops on there for him, too, and an opportunity, and it walks out the door, and he's not ready to receive it at that moment. Like, that's a, that's a scene for some of these lesser biopics, you don't see that that level of complexity yeah. in writing and emotional arc. I, I just thought it was wonderful. So it has those. I mean, this movie also has the all the mo- moments you'd expect, like the party where yeah. his friends leave. The, the and checklist, right? It does have the. It completely has the checklist, <laughs> and it, it goes has it all. It but has it also it has these other moments, absolutely, which make it just above. What I would cons- all the reasons I didn't want to see the movie. Uh, it has all of those, but it also has. 
these extra little these little pieces. Well, I would also say too, not only does it have its moment those moments, but they execute them well. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people that go down the checklist, but they don't execute them particularly well. They, okay, sure. I think a lot of these are, are execu- executed really well. Like I love the what I call the intro scene where they be, decide they're gonna become a band. Mm-hmm. I like how this one is shot. Where he comes and he walks away from them and oh, leaves. I'll, I, yeah, I loved. You know, there were several times I I was in the theater. It was the last show of the evening and it was sparsely populated. But there were several times I laughed and it was only me. <laughs> like and that was one of them. He walks away and now he's basically asking them for the job. <laughs> And then he walks away, all right, well, I'll consider your offer. (laughs) Well, I think this film, one of the things I think it does wonderfully, and I discovered this only later when I read about Freddie Mercury and sort of seeing biopics about him and kind of did a little more research about him. One of the most fascinating things about Freddie Mercury, I think, is Freddie Mercury didn't become Freddie Mercury because of the fame. Freddie Mercury. He did it first, yeah. Freddie, no, I'm not talking about the name. Oh, okay, I mean, sorry. literally the the personality, the bravado. Freddie Mercury was Freddie Mercury when he was swinging bags at Heathrow Airport or wherever he was working. He was that very weird guy, right? That just was offbeat. And if he wouldn't have been that, he would have been that weird guy you didn't talk to because right. he was a little nutty. I mean, he was just a little off. He had to be in that band. <laughs> he had to be in that band, or there was nothing for him. There was nothing for him in life. Like if he would have missed Queen, he would have lived a life of misery because he was just a really odd guy and they really capture that he was just a guy who looked strange had strange teeth bulging out of his yeah. mouth and got into like long before he became a huge star he was you know messing around with his clothing and doing weird things with his hair and into weird stuff and i thought they really painted the picture of somebody who was just a really odd character who became an odd legend and i like yeah. that part of it and the, in and i like that the characters in this band don't belong together. True. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> but they love each other. They do. In the ways that family does. Absolutely. Um, and they, you know, they make that point several times in the movie. I love the scene where he throws the manager out, who's been prompted by his hanger on to try to. Oh, in the car? Yeah, to give him a separate deal. The guy where there's that Game of Thrones maneuvering, <laughs> ironically, with Littlefinger. It gets out Littlefingered. You in know that what? I, scene. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Yeah. That is Littlefinger. His right. little finger gets out Littlefingered there. Exactly. I, I just thought that was awesome uh, where he says, no, get out. Don't don't even think about taking my family. And then we get like a nice payoff to that towards the end where he does it himself. Yeah. And then it doesn't work. And he says, hey, I went to Germany somewhere and I filled a room full of guys and I told them exactly what to do. And you know what the problem was? They did it yeah. <laughs> and it didn't work. Right. And then, and then they go back and forth and, and he has to apologize to his band and they love each other. And you can tell that they love each other. You could feel that. Like I've not felt that in other movies that deal with bands breaking up and stuff. Uh, I've never felt that level of connection amongst the guys where, yeah, I agree. where he needed that group of men. He mm-hmm. needed them. You know, there are a lot of bands you're like, they really didn't need the band. He needed them creatively. Yep. He needed them emotionally, and and that that's a very effectively told story in this in this piece. I, it really touched me, and I don't get touched often. 
That's a weird in a way, yeah, the way I could relate to it, I guess, is that, you know, you think of your friends in college. Like for me, I was theater kid in college and, and doing stuff with, with my friends in theater. We'd do our own shows and we were working together collaboratively. And then you leave. You know, you go off out into the world and this was like him, you know, trying to go back again. Yeah. You know, they say you can never come home again. But he got to. He did. And you know, it's funny. I just saw – um Jersey Boys, and I was comparing the two. Mm-hmm. And uh Jersey Boys, there's a lot of love between those guys, too. But what's interesting about, what's different about Jersey Boys is he literally doesn't need those guys. Right. Like, he goes off and he becomes Frankie Valley, Right. And he's a star without them. Freddie Mac- Mercury doesn't exist without Queen. Yeah. There is no Freddie Mercury apart from Queen. Like, there, there is Sting who's a, who's apart from the police. Right. There's Mick Jagger, who's apart from the Stones to some degree. Yeah, a bit of a star. There's, there's, yeah, sort of. There's John Petty sometimes without the heartbreak. Yeah, there's John Lennon without the Beatles. There is no Freddie Mercury without Queen, and he's done some stuff that was okay, but he doesn't live outside of that connection with the group. I thought that was really, really powerfully made point in in the picture. Um, So I like a Brian Singer movie. I did not expect that to happen. Actually, there's one other, uh, you know, Usual Suspects, I think is great. It's amazing. But uh, I've not enjoyed almost anything else he's done. That's got to be. What's his list? It's the first two X-Men movies. You're going to disagree with me on those, those but I don't I don't care for either of them. You're insane. Get out. Um, you don't like the first X-Men movie? I think I think the second one's better. Heresy, get out. Come <laughs> <laughs> on. It's amazing. And, it was uh, the first time that I looked at a superhero movie, and I was like, oh. I know. That's what a superhero movie could be. Oh, boy. And uh, here's where you will agree with me. Superman Returns. Oof, man, You'll agree with me on that one. Boy, that's rough. <laughs> that was a rough one. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that was rough. Uh, and he did Jack the Giant Slayer more recently. He's done a bunch of stuff. Oh, and he came back to X-Men with uh, Days of Future Past. That's outstanding. No. Put up. Put up. Uh, First Class is the only good X-Men movie. No, Days of Future Past is outstanding. Pull up uh, his uh, filmography. Oh, boy. But yeah, Days of Future Past is pretty good. No, disagree. And that's then, with the younger X Men, and that's pretty good. No, that's stuff. First Class. No, that, Days of Future. I mean, Past, it had it, he kept were, them. Yeah, he kept them. But the f- First Class. I just is, saw it. I just saw it uh, about I don't know maybe like a month ago. I saw it at work. First Class is the good one. Then he Both ruined of them were it. Good. Uh, and then X Men Apocalypse. Okay, after that, was that. that was rough. Uh, let's see what else. Not is bad, but uh, not not great either. Let's see, did, did Jack the Giant Slayer? We talking about Valkyrie was him. Yeah, that wasn't so great. Uh, an apt pupil. Awful. That That is the worst translation from a Stephen King book I've ever seen. He 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 truly didn't understand what made that story great. That story made me angry. It was so bad. <laughs> the whole point of apt pupil, and if you don't know, it's a story about a, a little child who's probably, I don't know, 11, mm-hmm. 10 or 11, who links with this ex-Nazi and activates the evil inside of this Nazi, and then they become serial killers together. But what made the movie so awful is he takes the kid, and instead of being 11, he makes him 17, Mm -hmm. which ruins the whole entire point. In the book, there's a relationship where this Nazi, in a sense, raises this 11 kid to be 17. It's a process. He removes that. Awful Mm. film. Mm. Awful. Sounds like the same problem with uh, Three Days of the Condor. The book was seven. How dare you... Three Days of the Condor. You're talking about with Robert Redford? Yes. Wonderful film. How dare you go from seven days That's to three. That's a wonderful three. film, though. Unbelievable. With Max von Sydow? Unforgivable. Oh, stop it. That's... Seven days he didn't to do three that. days? Outrageous. He didn't do that. Who? 
Brian Singer. No, of course not. Oh. I'm just it's not. Oh, yeah. not a, I'm just joking. Yeah, <laughs> I just they, you know I I just found it funny that it was, they ba- that three days of the Condor it, is that, based on a book called Seven Days of the Condor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, movies. That was a great movie, though. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, right? Max von Sydow. Stop it. Yeah, it was good. I it's fine. I have, what, I have no complaints. What else just, is on this other thing? That's it. That's, we got them all. That's it. Yep. Wow, that's a short career. Yeah, he's done. He did two episodes of House. So which ones? I don't know. Uh, Occam's Razor and the pilot. I guess he was a the producer. Pilot, he would have been a producer was, on that. The pilot was good. But as a director, that's basically it. So he left X-Men. After X-Men 2, he left to go do Superman Returns. I think they put him in Hollywood jail for a little bit there. <laughs> oh, by the way, I forgot to say this. Remy Malik is that his name? Yes. Wonderful performance. Yeah. Wonderful performance from a really tricky person to do. Like, it's hard to do Freddie Mercury and not sort of accidentally slip into caricature. Sure. I mean, it's easy to just, you know, he's one he of He walks the line, though. He he does. But it's hard. How do you... I mean, it's like doing Sammy Davis Jr. Or, right, sure. You know, doing an overtop you, person well, What like you do that. is you hire Jim Carrey to, for the Sammy Davis Jr. movie. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. I remember he'd do Sammy Davis Jr. on occasion. Yes, just like, would. boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a, I mean, you know. <laughs> like I was listening, speaking of uh, Jersey Boys, I saw an interview where the guy was talking about playing J- Joe Pesci. How do you play sure. Joe Pesci and not go right. into caricature? Yeah. But I, th- I, th- I thought he did a fabulous job because he, he took Freddie Mercury and made me care about him. Like there are a lot of mo- moments in the movie where I can't. He's not cartoonish. He's not cartoonish. He's a he's a dude, and he is flesh, and he makes mistakes. But you you never stop caring about him, which makes the stakes of the film a lot higher. You know, when that scene where he talks about having AIDS for the first time, and he just says, "Hey, none of that nonsense." You know, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna move forward, and I'm Freddie Mercury, and I'm a star, and I, I mean that. That's just wonderful stuff. I thought he he just played those notes really well. And speaking of the human element, you know, another little touch that just that walks the line between cheesy and sincere was he's walking out of the hospital. Oh yeah, and the the guy says, and you know, there's an AIDS patient sitting there, and he know he recognizes him, and he's on his way out, and he says, "Ayo." But really, aged up, right? They they had to make sure that we knew he had AIDS. Oh, he was yeah, he was very (laughs) yes. So it's like, okay, I get it. they couldn't just have a guy sitting there. Like, no, he was on. He was in the later stages for sure. Clearly, I was like, oh, that's so. Yeah, I mean, it's. I felt the strings there, but I was like, because I was enjoying myself, I was like, okay. So I said, it's on the edge. It's right. It's right there on the raggedy edge. I said, okay, I'm in. I'm I'm fine with it. I'm in. But you know, it's that little call and return. Um, you know, just like I, that 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 connection that he means something to people. Well, not only that, just the idea that here's the superstar and here's the fan, but they're on the exact same. Exactly. Yes. You know, in the exact same hospital. It's a human moment. It's a very human moment. So I think uh, anything else, any last words? Uh, Go see it. It's a, it's a good film. It's a good biopic. Go check it out. I think you will have a good time. And particularly if you're a queen fan, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, sort of love letter to queen fans. Check us out on the uh, Apple Podcast app, the iTunes Store, the Google Play Music Store, and we're on the YouTube. We're getting those episodes up slowly but surely. And check out our website, disagreepodcast.com. And with that, we will talk at you all next week. Bye. Peace and chicken grease.
Wow. Sometimes they have them at the liquor store. How do you spell that? Liquor store? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a racist question. <laughs> <laughs> I withdraw it. Um, 